52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, yo. Start spreading the news. The major championships have made their way back to the great state of New York. We're here to cover the PGA Championship at Oak Hill Country Club. This is Preferred Lines. My name is Joe Idoni. I will be the host. Thank you for checking out the show. Um, Brian, I know I took a week off last week, was under the weather, was traveling, got delayed in the Bahamas. Ted's back here. Good to see you guys, as always. Uh, pumped to have you back here. If it's your first time checking out the show, this is a golf gambling uh, podcast. We're going to talk about the odds board for this week's PGA Championship. Everything that goes along with that, uh, some narratives for Oak Hill, do a little bit of a course preview. There's tons of great content out there. I know that you all are should, as you should, be spreading your ears to all different types of voices this week. So I'm happy that you took a few seconds out of your Monday night to, to listen to mine. I very much appreciate you. Make sure to like and subscribe. I will be, if you are in this, go on over to the Preferred Lines YouTube channel. Do me a big favor there. Give it a subscribe. Leave your Twitter handle in the comments. Maybe post something nice about me. I've got some T-shirts to give away. Old school golf gambling club one. Uh, The one that I'm wearing now with sort of the floral look, hibiscus look right here, the PL. Uh, What else do I got? I got this one here, the classic preferred lines. I'm just giving away some stuff, guys. I really appreciate you supporting the show. So anyone that's here with me week in and week out, uh, I'm happy to send some great stuff your way. As always, I got to mention that we are proudly supported by my guys over at the Fantasy Golf Pod. Chad, Jish, Eric, they have the already the... The sort of early look DFS show is out there. Chad's got a bunch of great content out this week. Make sure to check out this their show, which the program airs live on Wednesday afternoons uh, to get you set from a DraftKings perspective for the PGA Championship. I'm super, super excited to be back in the ring here uh, covering another major championship. We have hit winners in the last two at the Open Championship at the Masters. It's time to make it three in a row. And to do it alongside me this week, I am so pumped up to bring this guy back onto the show for like his third or fourth appearance. Uh, My man is in charge of like the 100 greatest courses in America. I had the pleasure of playing golf with him. Golf Digest, co-host of The Loops, very own. Welcome back to Preferred Lines, Steve Hennessy. What's going on? Joe, thanks so much for having me, man. It's it's great to be with you. One of my favorite shows uh, for every week and it's a major we get to be breaking it all down together so pumped to be doing it man super excited you made some time for me i know we both had a big weekend uh celebrating mother's day with our little ones congrats to all of you checking out the show hope that you were able to spend some time with the family this past weekend but it's back to golf so who do you guys you guys have the absolute best guests on the loop every week who do you got on this week i assume it's it's probably not lee westwood (laughs) I, I would assume Lee Westwood's not coming uh, on the pod anytime soon. And actually, Brooks Kepka like mentioned us and like the the fake hole in one thing uh, in his press conference apparently before the tournament last week in Oklahoma, which is hilarious. Um, we had Calvin Johnson Megatron on last week. Yeah. That was a ton of fun. He he's like a huge golfer, uh, and he was the man. Um, we had Michael Breed on this week. You know, it's PGA week. And he's, you know, probably the most, uh, you know, vocal and, you know, everyone knows him as a pro and he's a Northeast guy. So, you know, knows this area, knows Oak Hill well. So, yeah, had him on before he headed up. Uh, he'll cover the event for CBS Sports, too. So, yeah, Breed, Breed was great. We, we could have talked to him for an hour. Um, he, he's the man. So he gave us some good insights, too, to how Oak Hill should play. Very cool. Absolute always expert and, and super fun guest over there. So you speaking of Northeast guys, you're kind of a Northeast guy. I know that you won't be there uh, with boots on the ground this week, but what are your impressions of Oak Hill? How is this course going to play different? What do you anticipate a winning score? Um, roughly what kind of range are you thinking this week? Yeah. I mean, very much a Northeast guy being in, in Jersey, but Rochester, you know, we were talking before, I mean, it's a hike from uh, New Jersey. So 
won't be making it up there, but I've studied the course a lot uh, for our magazine coverage for our every hole at video. If people haven't seen that, we uh, Derek Duncan, our architecture editor at Golf Digest, broke it all down with drone footage and stuff and, you know, kind of breaks down Andrew Green's restoration. He calls it a uh, sympathetic restoration to Donald Ross, which I think is is pretty accurate. You know, he changed significant things, uh, the bunkering in particular, uh, restored a lot of the original green complex of some, some of Donald Ross's great stuff. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think one of the critiques of it, you know, our boy Andy Lack has written about this, the fried egg, um, who also does great stuff. They wrote about this too. Their critique was that in the restoration, they didn't restore the original fairway widths back to what it maybe was back in the day. Cause this, the land is just, you know, expansive. The, the fairways you could imagine back in the twenties where, you know, you could land a, a jet on them, but now, you know, they're only 25 to 28 yards wide. And so, you know, it's still putting that premium on driving accuracy, probably a little more than some venues that we've seen recently. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because, you know, it's not just going to be a bomb and gouge. You know, a lot of people have made the wing foot comparison and I think there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, same as Beth page, but I, I think a little more is going to be on, you know, driving accuracy, still power and still club head speed, obviously getting out of this rough, but, you know, I think it'll be a little tougher because of that. And so winning score, you know, I think they'll set it up a little easier the first two days because you got the club pros there. Yes. But I make sure they, they get it around and don't shoot 85, 90. Um, so I would say winning score around like six under, seven under. You know, I think we do see some low scores the first couple of days, but then it, it could play pretty tough on the weekend. Maybe around eight under. Uh, I'll talk myself into high single digits. Yeah, I'm always there. I guess I'm always there's always one guy that will come out and have a really great day and kind of surprise yeah. me. And what we've seen, actually, in my opinion, is over the last probably five years or so, the PGA Championship has really kind of stolen the show. You had the back to back yeah. Brooks years, um, obviously one year with Tiger in contention. Obviously, the other year, Beth Page was fantastic. Uh, of course, we had, you know, the the past year with with Phil and what we had at Harding Park. So we've had these really, really great finishes. Um, how do how much in terms of a major championship setup, how much control is in the hands of the PGA of America and their determining of the course setup and how much relies on the actual golf course in the superintendents? Do you know anything that you can kind of let us in on there? Yeah, I mean, Kerry Haig, who's the, the PGA setup guy, he's, you know, widely regarded as probably the best in the business to be doing this every year. You know, all the players kind of universal praise since he's <laughs> been doing this, you know, going back to like Baltus Hall. Um, I think that that might have been his first one in 16. Um, yeah, I mean, they're working very closely with Oak Hill on all these pin positions. And, you know, they'll have a list of maybe five or six potential ones that they'll know you know, going back like months in advance that they're working on. And, you know, then they'll kind of audible, you know, based on what the weather's doing, based on the conditions, based on the other whole locations. And, you know, then they'll come up with it. You know, it's not something where Kerry Haig is just kind of coming up with it the day of. And then, you know, the, right. the staff is going out and cutting the holes. This is planned, you know, probably even years in advance, these, these whole locations, uh, you know, not quite to the level of science that Augusta is doing it, uh, you know, in terms of what they could study and everything that they have going on. But, um, you know, all these majors are, you know, it's very calculated in what they're doing. And, um, you know, I don't think they're going to push the buttons like the USGA would. And we've seen that we've seen every championship be, you know, widely regarded as successful by the players and the fans. And, you know, I would expect that to continue this week. Yeah, we saw the PGA back here. I, I believe it was 2013, and you know our guy, my guy Ted here in the chat mentions uh, all the trees that have been removed from the course. If you go back and watch highlights, uh, what you're going to see on TV this week uh, looks vastly different than that. But to me, also, Steve, the big thing that I've kind of wondered about is that PGA Championship. I believe was in like mid August. Um, yes. And every other PGA that they've had there has been in very late summer versus yeah. now we're coming into this event. Um, you know, it was a rather mild winter by all standards for my friends tell me yeah. in the Northeast this year. But at the same token, 
cooler temperatures. Um, the golf course itself just hasn't been operating and open very long this year. I know they have stuff shut down, but in terms of being able to get out there and, and manicure and make sure that everything is perfect for a setup, they were under a little bit of a time crunch this year. How do you feel that the golf course is going to play this year in comparison to maybe what we are used to from Oak Hill in previous major championships? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And they got lucky that it was a mild winter because, you know, in some Push other me. years, there could have been snow on the ground, yeah, you know, dude. a couple of weeks ago. And it, it would have been interesting. Uh, I root for chaos. I was kind of rooting for a little of that. And the PGA is coming back to like Baltus Roll, which is down the road for me in May in a few years. Like, you know, there's some things that could happen. Um, Aronimink's coming up again. Yeah, Aronimink, yeah. exactly. But, you know, they, they got lucky. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be like LACC firm and fast. But, um, you know, it, it's been sort of mild in terms of rain as well. They got a decent amount of rain maybe in the past couple of months. But uh, in the weeks leading up to it, it hasn't been too bad. And it looks pretty mild uh, looking at the forecast for this week. So I think they could kind of dial it up. You know, there there is the... Uh, the sub air under the, under the green. So right. you know, they can pump out water on the greens. Um, I, th I think the greens playing firm is key to this playing kind of back to what Andrew green wanted to do. And uh, you know, okay. putting these runoff areas and that's what we saw at Southern Hills too. A lot of what Gil Hans did uh, was pretty similar. And, you know, you have options around the greens, but you know, really putting a premium on the second shot. And if you miss your ball could really bound, you know, 10, 20 yards away from you. And, you know, we hope we see that kind of happen. And in terms of the trees, like a lot of trees were removed, but there is still a ton of trees at Oak Hill. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the past, someone counted, I think it was a historian at Oak Hill counted over 10,000 trees on property. And they probably removed like a thousand or 2000, but there's still thousands and thousands of trees. Like if you yeah. look at the seventh hole, for example, there's a tree still guarding the the dog leg left there. So, you know, it's still going to be pretty, um, it's going to feel claustrophobic in some spots for these guys. It's going to be better to be in the rough on one side of the fairway than be, you know, in the fairway with the tree blocks out, kind of like heritage place. So, um, yeah, I'm rooting for firm and fast though. I'm sure everybody is. Yeah, everybody is. And you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the fairway with kind of n not necessarily restoring that all the way back and being rather tough to hit to the level of a major championship where we would expect. So I think that a few years ago when the U.S. Open got to wing foot, right, mm -hmm. there was this narrative that honestly, I feel like was almost just developed that week in a sense where. Everyone, and I don't know if it was Lou Stagner or who first like sort of coined it, but everyone adopted it that week. And it was the fairways are very narrow. The rough is up. Actually, bomb and gouge is the appropriate method to playing that type of course setup, because what ultimately happens is everyone ends up missing fairways. And the further you are down, uh, the better off you are. So that was sort of a narrative that I feel like was just developed then. And what happened was, is it came 100% true. We got Bryson, we got Matt Wolf, we got everyone who sort of adopted that strategy really vaulted up the leaderboard. And what I feel like from what I'm hearing this week is so much of that is expected to be repeated. And I don't know that that's necessarily as repeatable. One at a course like this, and I think that may have just been kind of how things worked out that week. Bryson was one of the best players in the world at the time. Matthew Wolf was one of the best up and coming players. Like it wasn't like they just had this strategy that didn't work anywhere else. And all of a sudden right. it worked at Wingfoot. My point being, Steve, is I guess maybe the pendulum I feel like has swung a little bit too far in this bomb and gouge. And we always see the plotter show up. We always see Russell Henley at Torrey Pines and we see Brian Harmon and 8,000 yard Aaron Hills. And we mm -hmm. see these guys who are plotters who are able to get around successfully. Um, Rick, our buddy Rick is on site this week. He, he said something earlier that Morikawa was basically had to chip out from a yard off the fairway and how penal it is um, off the edge. If you're able to keep it in the fairway on an additional two, three, maybe four holes throughout the day, um, I do see it as potentially advantageous given that the yardage on a scorecard compared to what we've seen for major championships isn't completely overwhelming like you may mm -hmm. expect at some other courses. 
Yeah, I think this is ultimately what comes down to determining the winner here is, you know, is this going to be wing foot? You know, can you just bomb and gouge it to death? But, you know, I think you hit on a, a couple of good points. And one of them is like, you know, Bryson and Matt Wolf just played, you know, extraordinary golf. And you look at the rest of the leaderboard, it was also like the best players in the world. And, you know, those guys don't really get enough credit. Bryson had an insane week short game wise, you know, that gets lost in all this, the little finesse shots, you know, through the weekend that he was playing to perfection. Um, you know, you're going to need that at Oak Hill, I think, because you're going to miss, you're going to miss greens. Um, mm -hmm. So that's certainly true. I do think, you know, in the same way at Wingfoot, where, you know, most of the greens were open and you could just kind of run up little chips or punches from the trees, from the rough, the same way that Bryson did. You could kind of do that at Oak Hill too. There's three okay. holes where you can't, um, you know, there's some elevated greens and three of these greens are protected by bunkers or elevation, but the rest of them are pretty open as well. So, you know, that's a factor to consider. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, whereas Wingfoot was so tree lined, you know, there, there's a little more, there's options here. And yeah, you're going to need a ceiling week from someone like a Brendan Todd, you know, to hit every fairway and hit his 220 yard approach shots to, you know, 25 feet to have a chance, you know, with regularity. But, you know, it's certainly possible. And like you said, we always see that from at least one or two players. I don't expect the leaderboard to be piled up with those guys. But yeah, you know, it wouldn't surprise anyone if one of these plotter types um, are up there. But yeah, you know, I, I still think this will be a complete test it, it, you know you have to drive it long and straight uh and then it's all about approach and short game yeah i think coming at it from different perspectives i mean th this show is mostly an outright betting show so i don't necessarily shy away from a prevailing narrative because mm -hmm. the majority of the time it's right but i think that if you're trying to nail something down in a in a dfs in a gpp contest with 50 80 100,000 people in it um, I wouldn't mind sort of swerving and adopting a different narrative this week and just hoping that sort of that comes to fruition. The other thing with Wingfoot, in in my opinion, remembering it back is the penalty for missing a fairway was a lot of times thick, deep, rough, but it was the same everywhere. There wasn't a whole lot of like just off fairway bunkering that was really protected. And that right. feels like a difference at this course yeah. where the fairway bunkers uh, from everyone that I've talked to seem extremely penal. The further you get closer up to them, they're borderline a half shot to a one stroke penalty because you're going to have to come out sideways and you have zero chance of running something up there toward the green a la you would at some place like Wingfoot. Um, speak, to, speak to the fairway bunkering a little bit and how important do you think something is this week to look into like carry distance and being able to sort of eliminate those on a certain number of holes yeah i i do think you know carry distance clubhead speed is huge these yeah i talked to a few caddies who are out there and that was like their biggest impression they were actually like the rough i thought was going to be longer from what everyone was saying a couple weeks out um but the the bunkering was what really got their attention and exactly what you said if you're in the front of these bunkers like there's no way to escape them you know it's just kind of punch out uh and try to scramble for your par from there um but you know if you're in, in the front side or in the middle you know you could escape them and and kind of get out of there um and i think some of the green side bunkers too are going to be really penal so i i think you're going to need to be a really good sand player again complete examination but um you know i think where they put these fairway bunkers in the restoration were you know, really strategic and, you know, we're hoping to capture these, you know, kind of shorter to middle hitters. And yeah, it, it's going to be a big advantage if you carry it, you know, 300 plus uh, to kind of take those out of play. Absolutely. Sounds great. Now that we got the course under wrap, let's go ahead and shift gear. Talk about some guys we like on the board. All right, before we dive right into odds here, I want to mention again, giving away PL, Preferred Lines, merch, T-shirts. Drop your Twitter handle in the comments. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Even if you're catching this later tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to draw three winners later this week. I'm going to get your address through DM. I'm going to send you a T-shirt. Okay, here's who we got at the top of the board. Let me scroll all the way back up here at oddschecker.com. Of course, John Rahm, 
your favorite eight to one. Scotty Scheffler is actually down to seven to one in some spots like DraftKings Sportsbook, making him the favorite this week. Uh, is at eight to one, the best odds available. Then Rory McElroy, 14 to one. Xander Cantlay, right in that 20 to range. I'll even let's just loop in Brooks here at 22 to one across some different books. Those are the top six on the board, Steve. Talk to me. Let's talk about the big three first. Mm-hmm. Um, Scotty being the favorite in this event, is that surprise you at all? Because it does to me a little bit. Yeah, me too. You know, I, I thought Rom, um, based on the year that he's had, would be kind of the consensus favorite. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of Scheffler playing well last week, although if you watched him on the greens, you might disagree with that. Um, but, yeah. you know, kind of a little opinion shifting to his side here on Monday. So that's pretty interesting. I, I don't necessarily love him on a Northeast golf course. I don't know about you, Joe, but, you know, yeah. I, I just like we haven't seen it. And, you know, we've seen like all these other guys have have more experience like Scheffler. I, he didn't play wing foot because I think he caught COVID. Um, so he was out. Right. And yeah, he like just the experience on bent grass. Like th- there's a couple of reasons why I could see I mean, that number on Scheffler is, is, is tough to take. That number is tough to take on anyone in a major. But, yeah, for me, it's definitely not Scheffler. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I don't. I disagree with it, to be frank. I think John Rahm deserves to be the favorite. I think that he's a better player. I think that he's a better fit for the course right now, mm-hmm. given a lot of the long iron play. I trust him more out of the bunkers. I trust him more to make clutch putts uh, when the greens are sort of difficult and potentially unfamiliar to what they're used to. You know, they're unfamiliar for both of them, right? Neither of them practice in this area of the country on these type of greens, but I feel like I do have a little bit more trust in Rahm. Interesting, though, like some of the head-to-head markets, like Scotty Rom. Scotty is minus 125 over mm-hmm. Rom in a head-to-head matchup. Scotty versus Rory is minus 178. I think Rory's in this interesting spot where they don't really know what to do with him. Yeah. Who do you put with them in a matchup? Do you put him with Scotty and Rom in a head-to-head matchup where he's going to be a huge underdog? Because that feels like a liability. If I'm an odds maker, I'm yeah. going to let Rory McIlroy be plus 145 at a golf course. that should set up great for him against Scotty Scheffler. That feels like you could get exposed. But on the flip side, what are you going to do? You're going to make him a heavy favorite against Cantlay or Xander or Brooks. That doesn't feel right either. He's like this enigma right now that nobody can seem to get right. I was watching Golf Channel before we went on, and they did a little bit of a deep dive. And basically this season, um, on average, he's hitting one and a half less greens per round. He's hitting one less fairway per round than his baseline over the last six years. So he's not driving it as well. He's not putting it as well. He's not hitting as many greens in regulation. He's coming in off missed cuts. I know that he's done he's done it all before, right? He's come in with no form and played great. He's continued form. He's been around for so long as an elite player that there are so many different narratives on either side that you can adapt with Rory. Where are you at right now? <sighs> Yeah, this is, it's a tough question for me. Um, You know, I feel like I want, I want to believe that he could do it here. And, you know, obviously the Oak Hill connections, his family or his in-laws are members and, you know, Erica grew up here and apparently spent a lot of time here. You know, all of that stuff is great. Um, So he knows the course played here in 2013. We like that. But yeah, you know, he plays that draw off the tee and, you know, what Michael Breed was telling us, today on, on the podcast, you know, that left to right shot shape is actually really big here out here at Oak Hill. So, you know, I don't necessarily love that for Rory. Um, so it favors a cut he was saying. Yeah. You know, you want to kind of hit a fade off the tee and Rory just doesn't do that. So, um, no. you know, that being said, like, you know, he knows where to miss, where not to miss. So if a hole sets up for a cut and he hits his draw in the rough and takes the trouble at a place still like he, he's going to be fine even if he's in the rough but yeah just too many inconsistencies i think in his game the approach numbers aren't great um yeah obviously he could bomb it out there but i just haven't seen enough with his short game in the putting either do you agree joe i mean i, I don't I no don't i think- do i do yeah I, i'm concerned with a couple of reasons i listen first things first i think this is an extremely fair betting price if you want to get behind yes. rory McIlroy at a major 14 to 1 is about the best you're going to do over the 
last five years for the next five years. It's about as high as it's going to get. That's how good of a player he is. He's number one in the field in carry distance, and we talked about the importance of that. So he's going to be able to eliminate some of the trouble on certain holes that other guys can't. He has a familiarity here, and nobody's extremely familiar, but he has to have – you have to say that that's some sort of a leg up in his yep. advantage. Yep. My problem is is he's performing well below his baseline performance. So if you look at the last 20 rounds versus his 100-round baseline, um, nearly every stat category is is slightly worse. Um, my other concern that no one's really talking about is like the mental side of things yep. right now with yep. Rory and the weight that it's carrying on him and for him to withdraw and give up $3 million. And we all kind of gave him a pass for that because we have an understanding and I have certainly a sensitivity to the importance of mental health. Um, and I'm not going to knock him for that whatsoever, but it's also not something that I love four weeks before this major championship. Right. And for someone talking about his preparation for this event being elevated, um, this is a guy who was more prepared for Augusta National this year than anybody else in the field, um, I believe, in terms of rounds played, in terms of studying the course, in terms of developing a game plan. And things just went wrong, and they've been kind of going that way. And I just worry that if he doesn't get out to a really hot start, um, that things might not be a, in a perfect world right now for Rory. And at that point, I think that I feel more confident in taking one of the guys below. To be honest with you, I'm not going to bet the top. The next three um, all have my interests. I've bet one of them already. What about those guys for you in terms of Xander, Cantlay, Brooks? How would you rank those three? Yeah. Um, well, Xander is my first bet. So I rank him first. Yeah. I, I feel like I really don't want to miss out on Brooks. So he's probably two, but Cantley is interesting also. Um, he just has kind of the complete game. And I love that at a course like Oak Hill. Um, you know, we just still haven't quite seen it at the majors and it's becoming like a cliche at this point with Cantley. So I almost want to zag in a direction of, you know, everyone doesn't want to bet Cantley, so I kind of mm -hmm. do, but still like, you know, Xander, I think is the complete uh, player that I want to back here. The, the mid to long irons that you're going to need at Oak Hill, like that's his bread and butter. Um, and he's been playing amazing golf. Th this kind of lead up to a major, this is what you see oftentimes in someone who gets over the, you know, over the finish line for the first time. And, and so Xander's my, my first bet. So I bet him yesterday, 24 to one and feeling pretty good about it. You know, he does hit a draw predominantly off the tee, but he could work it both ways. Um, and he does that with his approaches too. So yeah, it's Xander Brooks and Cantlay for me. What about you, Joe? I bet Brooks. Um, yeah. I took well, him last week at circa 22 to one, a couple yeah. of different times with our, our buddy Luke that's out there. Um, look in the same sense where I worry a little bit about the outside of golf with Rory, right? Mm -hmm. Like my buddies tour junkies call it like strokes gain home life. What's going on mm -hmm. in your world off the golf course and how does that affect your play on the golf course? I believe it does have an effect. Mm -hmm. I worry that some of it is going in the wrong direction right now with Rory. I worry a little bit about Xander, although he's trending fantastically and he's been great in major championships. I worry a little bit about the Sunday pressure and breaking through the barrier um, could have a, maybe an impact on Xander. I feel like Brooks is in the best mental spot we've seen him in probably five years since he won his last yep. major championship. He was humbled. He was in the darkest of absolute lows. Um, I actually, knowing some people that know Brooks down here, I actually do have some respect for the move that he made where he was at at the time, right? Mm -hmm. He set his brother up in an amazing situation that nobody, his brother made four and a half million dollars last year. Like he right. basically gifted him that, which is an extremely cool thing to do to a family member when you're not so sure about your game, everything on the golf course is going right for him. He's got his game back. I was looking at some of the stats from live golf and they don't have a ton, but he's leading the live tour in greens and regulation right now. He's mm -hmm. up there in the top five in driving distance. 
The driver, he's hitting fairways. He's hitting more greens than anyone else on the live tour. The putter has seemed to be working in a positive direction as well. His game is trending. He's in a great place mentally. He's He's got a kid on the way. He seems yep. very happy right now and content with his life on the golf course and off the golf course. He's posting like fun stuff on social media. I saw he he like brought all the live staffers like flowers from right. like he's trying he's like doing good things man and like I'm excited to see him just back happy and I feel like that is going to translate very well for him on the course. Yeah. As someone who had him 100 to 1 at the Masters um it, it pains me a little bit to like now take a fifth of the price in the next major and right. I'm the first to admit he struggled on Sundays the last couple of years. I don't know what it is but the guy has an understanding of how you change your game for major championships. And mm -hmm. you don't play the same type of game that you play at TPC Craig Ranch. Um, you aim for the center of greens. You basically play for pars. You try to get everything up and down. And you maybe find your two, three, four spots a day to attack the course. And there's a level of patience there that a lot of players really struggle with in majors. And there's only been a few in the history of the game who have done it as well as Brooks has um, in the last 30 years. And I just have the utmost confidence that he's going to get me to a Sunday. And then at that point, it does become an issue of, can he get back on top? And that's what I worry about. But I feel best about, about him right now. And then Xander with his game. And then third for me would be Patrick Cantlay as well. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. And you make a great point about Kepka. I think the dichotomy of him versus Rory, like all the pressures on Rory McIlroy, you know, most weeks because of his position in the game where he's put himself with the PGA Tour, like Kepka has kind of climbed the mountain already. And, you know, Rory has too. Obviously, they both have the four majors, but, you know, Kepka now like has kind of proven it to himself at the Masters, like, I could do this again. And, yeah. you know, it's not like, oh, my God, my career might be over. He knows now, like, his game is is back. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting in the winner circle in a major. Like, he's done it twice on the live tour. So I think a lot of that pressure is off. So I think that's a great point. I think, you know, more than ever, Kepka, you know, seizes this opportunity and knows it's possible for him. The – I hate to, like, understate it, but, like, the importance of – where you're at mentally with your golf game when you go out and play, when you or I go out and play, is immense. Like it's hard to really underestimate when you're really playing well and you're confident in your game, how much that translates to your actual score versus something's going right. You're missing everything left. You're cutting, you can't hit, you can't hit a fairway. Like that stuff just creeps into you and affects me a ton in terms of how my scores end up. And I can imagine that there's some smaller incremental but a degree of that that plays into each one of these players heads and i just think things are going in a very positive direction based on where they were a year ago for brooks and maybe the opposite could be potentially creeping in with some of the other players yeah i agree scheffler with the putting too so yeah, yeah i'm with you you can tell it's frustrating him the next guy's down the board interesting interesting bunch here so jason yeah. day is now 28 to 1 Fresh off um, a win last last night, basically. Um, really, really cool to see before we even get started. Like Jason Day winning on Mother's Day with his son Dash. Like I used to be a huge Jason Day fan when I first started, like before I was even doing golf content and really starting to get into it. And like seeing like Dash is like a four or five year old, like <laughs> the age of my son then. And now right. he looks like a grown man. And like them fist pumping, like I, I literally almost had a tear in my eye, like so watching cool. that happen. It yeah. was so good to see him get back on top, particularly on Mother's Day. Uh, but he's now 28 to one. Justin Thomas, two time PGA Championship winner. Like this is a get right spot for him is is 29. I can see some 30s happening later this week at different books. It would not surprise me. Finau is playing unbelievable right now at 29 to one. DJ coming off an impressive win. I watched almost all of the final like 11 holes of Tulsa yesterday. He played awesome the first two days, but I was really impressed with his guts, with his resolve. And I thought that that was a big, big moment for him to get that win in terms of his confidence, because 
Things had been struggling earlier in the year with DJ. Some frustration had come in with the driver. Then he had a three-stroke lead, dealt with a weather delay, came out immediately triple bogey to hole, lost his lead, um, has to make a birdie on 18, and then had to make a birdie again in the playoff hole to win. So I thought that that was a very big moment for him. Victor Hovland, 30-1. to Cam Smith is now 33. Cameron Young, who was on the cover of the most recent Golf Digest at 33 to 1. Fitzpatrick, 33 to 1. There's a whole lot of guys lumped in here, and I don't really have a strong opinion besides one guy on who's the one that I want to take. What about you? Yeah, two for me that I've bet. Um, First is DJ. You talked about it. Um, You know, over the weekend, he's making that kind of charge on on live. And I, I grabbed that. I, I just think a Northeast classic golf course, we've seen it so many times with Dustin Johnson that, yep. you know, he's just elite out of his, how many PGA tour wins does he have? Like 24. I mean, probably a third of them are on Northeast golf courses. He, he just loves these setups. They, they suit him perfectly. Um, so to see him kind of rounding back into form, you know, gives me a ton of confidence. And at 33 to one, I just think it's somewhat egregious. So, um, I'm definitely on DJ and then Fitzpatrick for me. I, I just feel like he's kind of getting, you know, looked past a little bit. Like he's one of the longest Always. hitters in the, and his short game is also one of the best short games in the world too. So that's kind of the recipe you want. The, the approach game could get dialed. It was at Harbor town, which, you know, is a course you would think for one of the longest hitters in the world wouldn't necessarily fit his game, but you know, he could play point A to point B as well. So, I think Fitzy, um, what is he like 33 to one still? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love the, the both of those guys. Um, Cam Smith, I also bet I don't love it, I just love the number over the weekend. Uh, the 40, what'd you get? I got 40, I, I missed the 50. Um, mm-hmm. but still, you know, 40 to one, it's worth taking a flyer for me. So, yeah, those are my guys. It is. Uh, I had so when I took Brooks last week, I was telling multiple people I took the Cam Smith 38 to one. Little did I know right. that number would get better. But yeah. I've actually followed Liv pretty closely. Like I didn't mm-hmm. watch all of Adelaide and Singapore, but I've been uh, I do the Liv's content in the show every every week for every event. So I've been really keeping close tabs on a lot of their stats. Um, his finishes have actually been trending really in the right direction over the last four events, second, third, sixth, seventh place, I think is his worst finish in the last Great. four events. He's coming around. Um, the driver has been much more accurate for him, which mm. I think is a big thing. Um, he was hitting it very far and accurately yesterday. Mm. Um, he had the low round of the day. I well, actually, I think Harold Varner had the low round of the day, but he still shot a what a 61 61 final round yeah unbelievable he outdrove dj on the playoff hole which Mm -hmm. was like he hit third like they both pipe drives right down the middle and i was like holy shit cam young or cam smith hit it further right he has a special ability that i think is getting very overlooked this week and that's the importance of short game magic in majors um he can get he still has the best hands in the world. I think mm-hmm. on and around the greens, his creativity is second to none. The only two guys I could maybe compare it to would be like Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth, but yeah. all together, but putting chipping out of the bunkers, tough lie creativity. Cam Smith's still the best in the world at those things. Um, I worry that it's not the best course setup for him. But then I look and he's kind of done it everywhere. And when you have this special ability, Steve, and this magic to get things up and down for pars in situations when you shouldn't, and the ability to be clutch and hold 35 footers and nothing scares you. John Rahm pairing in the final round at the tournament of champions doesn't scare you. You got to chase Rory McIlroy down at the open championship. That doesn't scare you. He's won at the players. He's won at the Sony. He's won at wide open courses. He's won at extremely tight and narrow courses. Like his game when it's on translates anywhere in the world. And right now I think it's on. And I think this is an extreme like good price on him based on where he's at in the world uh, in terms of his skill set. And I think that it's just a number play for me too. 38 to one was too much. And I, and I had to take a piece. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, he, like we saw at the open 
last year. I mean, this is one of the, you know, take your world ranking system and, you know, it, it's such a farce right now. Yeah. You know, take anyone's opinion of the top five to top eight players in the world. There's no doubt Cam Smith is one of them. And, you know, we're catching him at nearly, I got him at 40 to one year at 38. I mean, it's a no brainer. It's, you know, if yeah, he I mean, get me, we don't care. Dude, get me to Sunday and yeah. there's three guys tied. And let's say it's, let's say it's Xander, Cantlay and Cam Smith. Like yeah. I'm more confident in Cam on a Sunday, having that ticket at double the number than both of those two guys. Um, getting it, being able to be clutch and get the job done when the pressure's at an all time high. A hundred percent. Yep. All right. So coming down just a hair on the odds board, you get to Morikawa, you get to Sung J M at 36 to one max home is there at 40 to one, which is intriguing to me. Spieth concerns. Um, we'll talk about it in just a second, but with the wrist injury is now 45 to one Hatton 46, Hideki 50 burns 50 Fleetwood 66. Adam Scott in that 60 to 80 range. What are you, where you, where's your money at here? Yeah. Uh, Hideki was my last bet, uh, at 50 and he, he just kind of really impressed me, um, this weekend. There were concerns going back to Japan after, um, you know, the injury stuff. And I didn't expect much of them last week. I faded him in our golf digest column. So that was a mistake. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just, it's the distance off the tee. He could carry it a long way. And, you know, the approach play when it's on, it's one of the best in the world, but it's more so the short game for me. You know, he doesn't get the credit for having a, you know, top 10, top 15 short game right. in the world. He could produce that magic too. So, you know, seeing some positive signs there in Dallas, I think 50 to one is a, a great number from someone who's not going to shy away from the moment, same like Cam Smith. So, um, yeah, love Hideki. And, and the other guy who I'd consider at 66 to one, I feel like Tommy Fleetwood's going to be on a lot of DFS lineups. I, I do a lot of these pools, um, during mm-hmm. majors, all these major pools and Fleetwood's going to be in a, a lot of my, uh, either DFS lineups or pools. Uh, you know, he just plays hard golf courses so well. We we've seen him put together some good finishes this year. So yeah, both those guys for me. Yeah, so there are a lot of guys in this range that you can I could form a good opinion on and I think could play very well. There's one that I feel best about winning. And if we're just talking outrights only, um, Sam Burns at 50 to 1, the guy just does it, man. Uh, going back the last two calendar years since May of 2021, he's got five PGA Tour wins. Just like out of reference, the other guys in this range, Sungjae has one, Spieth has one, Hatton has zero, Hideki has one, Fleetwood has zero, Scott has zero, Fowler has zero, Lowry has zero, Burns has five. That's crazy. In the last two years. And I realize a lot of those are on, you know, heavy Bermuda grass courses. But Mm. the other part about it is when you get these difficult tests, when the rough is up, when the scoring conditions are very hard, when it's 7,400 yards and a par 70. Like, I just want athletes. Like, (laughs) something about the U.S. Open and the PGA. Like, give me a big, strong, freaking athlete, like a Gary Woodland, like a Brooks Kepka, like a Dustin Johnson. Like, these are the guys, like John Rom. Like, these are the big, burly dudes who, like, come together in these very difficult courses and consistently show up. And I feel like Burns is on that precipice. And the only reason that he's 50 to one is because he hasn't done it on a Sunday at a major championship yet. Right. You know, I considered Max Homa, but I'm much in mm-hmm. the same boat. Like Homa's won like probably three, I think three times in that span, maybe four. Uh, but he hasn't really done it on a Sunday either. And I get that there's a major championship pedigree that some of these other guys carry. Um, but it only takes once to sort of find yourself into contention. And at 50 to one, I saw positive signs at last year's U.S. Open at the Country Club. I don't remember off the top what his finish was. But any guy that just consistently can show up to big time you know, events, like just do it at the match play, right? Do yeah. it at the Valspar. Like just, just notch victories and how important that is for your self-confidence, I think goes a long way. And I just think that he makes a great sound bet at 50 to 1. The floor is lower. He can miss the cut. He does quite often. Some of his game is a bit volatile. 
Uh, but when things are going in the right direction for Sam Burns, he has a knack for just notching victories. Yeah, this is an outright show. And, you know, you, yeah. you just want a dog on the, on the weekend and, you know, could totally see Burns shooting a 66 on Thursday. And then, you know, you're just hoping he kind of hangs on and is in the mix come the weekend. So love that call. All right. What about some long shots like the PGA Championship? Now, the past five years have been a little bit different, but historically, we've seen guys compete. Neiman's up here. Lowry's 90 to one. Gooch has been playing fantastic. Wyndham Clark, in terms of trends, the last 20 rounds versus his baseline is the best player in the field. Um, I've got a couple of guys and some older bets that that I've sort of made some long term futures. Uh, I mentioned three of them in the spaces that I did earlier today. If anyone wants to go check that out, the recording is up on the page. But let me hear if you got any long shot bombs this week. Well, I got one and I want to pick your brain since you're, uh, you know, the live guy. Talk Uh, to me. So Joaquin Neiman, to me, would fit this course pretty dang well because he bombs the ball, um, you know, has that club head speed to get out of the rough. We saw I think it was Olympia Fields, the BMW, a few years back. Like he played really well in that setup. Might be similar type of setup this week. I don't know what he's done recently in live, and that's you know he's ninety to one, so it's kind of like a big unknown. But he feels like he'd be a good fit here. Is am I? Do I have anything there with Neiman? Okay, so I was very high on him at the Masters, and I thought that he actually played very well. Some of okay. the live stuff, honestly, he hasn't been playing very well. Yeah. Um, I don't think he has a top 10 this year. Wow. Uh, 10th, 11th, and 30th are his three best finishes. He's like 26th in terms of the the money list right now on the live tour. Um, You mentioned a lot of things that he can certainly turn it around. I think that talent-wise, at 90 to 1, he makes some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone who can win at a place like Riviera and show up at multiple places, I think could compete on very difficult golf courses, which which I do like. Uh, I just haven't seen the form necessarily translate over to live. He's been a little like lackadaisical in a sense. And I don't know if that's just part of the attitude of some players in terms of playing on that tour, that it's just some players I think are very competitive about it. And some it's a little bit, I don't want to use the, the dreaded word like exhibition golf, but it feels like if I had to put him into a category, it's a little bit more of that. Like there was one point where it was a team, I think in Orlando where his team was tied and there was potentially going to be a team playoff and they That's like right. interviewed him about like, who are the two guys? And he's like, I, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not playing very well right now. Like I'm going to take <laughs> Mito and, and uh, somebody, but yeah, yeah you I know, mean, he's it, like, I think from a number standpoint, it makes a little bit sense, but from the form that I've seen on live, he hasn't been playing fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he's 24 years old and like just got yeah. paid whatever, $40 million. Yeah. Like who could fault him for just kind of enjoying himself right now. But if he could dial it up, you know, at a major, yeah, it, it's a numbers play at 90 to one based on his talent. Agree. So I have three guys. I'll, nice. I'll rip them off to you now. Um, Keegan at one twenty five to one. Yeah. I, I love Keegan in the Northeast. Um, he's gained at least four and a half strokes T to green in five of the last eight tournaments he's played in. He's played good in some elevated events this year. Second at the farmers top 10 at the API top 20 at waste management, 23rd at the masters. Um, we mentioned Aronimink earlier, which is sort of a very old school Donald Ross design yep. from like 1893, very much like I, I'm not a huge architecture guy, but it feels like it can somewhat fit the mold obviously won the 2018 BMW and a playoff there. Mm-hmm. Um, any place that is going to heighten the importance of ball striking and off the tee game, I, I tend to like it, Keegan a little bit. Gary Woodland is another one for me at 101. This was an old bet from a month ago. I got a 180. Um, he's just been like striking it, dude, so well. Mm-hmm. 10 strokes tee to green in Mexico, 12 at the Wells Fargo. You worry about the putting with Gary. Is he ever going to be able to win another major? He's going to have to do it with an incredible short game week like he did at Pebble that week. Um, you know, the, those are tiny greens. Those are can get cold. It's quarter zip sort of season <laughs> out there at Pebble Beach. And yeah. we might have a little bit of that again this week. I don't know that I necessarily endorse the 100 to 1, but I think that he makes – you know, a solid top 20 bet and maybe a DraftKings play. And the other one for me, there was 175 to one on Justin Rose this morning on bet online. 
Um, he's been super sharp and playing well above his like hundred, like well above the baseline that he set over the last three or four years. He is surpassing that by a ton this year. He's top 20 in sort of fairways and driving accuracy. He still hits it plenty far enough. If he can find the fairways, he's a top five sand save guy. Another guy speaking of Pebble beach that just won there this year. He's won at Marion. Yeah. He he was in the playoff with Keegan at Aronimink in 2018. Right. He's just playing really good golf right now. He's another one like Brooks that just understands the different challenge that is major championship golf, which is different than an average PGA Tour week in the sense of play to the middle of the greens, make your pars, stay extremely patient, and just try to get yourself to a Sunday afternoon and you never know what can happen at that point. Like other guys just continue to fold and fold and fold. And it's like you're at a poker tournament. And it's the longer you can just hang on to a stack and whittle the field of 50 guys starting at a tournament down to eight or 10, the better your chances are. And, and you can potentially make something happen from there. So those are my three. Yeah, I, I like all those a lot. Um, the Pebble Beach comps with Woodland and, and J-Rose make a lot of sense too. And Keegan, obviously, in the Northeast. So, yeah, I mean, the, all those guys make great like top 20, top 40 sense as well. Yeah. So I'm probably going to tell you there, I think. I, I like them a lot. Yeah, a couple of top 20, top 40s in terms of, and maybe DFS plays in terms of maybe swerving the bomb and gouge narrative and the driving distance and the carry and stuff like that that make a little sense to me. Um, I'm always going to like Denny. I'm going to play him a little bit. Um, he's just morphed himself into a player that does good on hard golf courses, like hmm. eighth at the Wells Fargo. That place played really hard. 13th at the Players. Riviera was top 10. Um Pebble, he finished fourth. The U.S. Open last year at the Country Club in Boston, he finished seventh. Top five at the Memorial. Like, this is just a guy that is just showing up at difficult tasks on bent grass in many of those circumstances. So I like Denny. I just think he has a unique asset. And if he continues to sort of, um, you know, Rick has the thing on his website where it looks at it trends, basically, of guys who, um, I think he calls it like a heat index, basically, right. where he looks at guys who are, really ball striking it well, but performing well below their baseline putting, which makes them a good breakout candidate because they're ripping it really well. If they can hit their baseline for putting, they're going to have a great breakout potential. And Denny's actually one of those guys who hasn't quite putted to his baseline, but he's just striking it so much better than he has at any other point in his career. And the other one is Russell Henley, man. You want a fairway plotter. He's number one in the field in fairways. Listen to the last four elevated events that Russell Henley's played. Match play, the Masters, the players, the heritage. He's finished top 20 in all four of those consecutive wow. elevated events. He was in one of the final groups at Torrey. Like, I, I just think he's yeah. playing really sneaky, good golf. And if you want a guy that isn't going to show up on many models that are factoring in driving distance, Right. He could be a sneaky one um, down in the sort of lower range in a DFS or a top 20, top 40 type play. Yeah, I like it. He just finds every fairway, hits a bunch of greens. And and I followed him at Augusta and he's got this weird putting routine. It takes him about a minute and a half to hit a putt. But I mean, it, it works. I mean, that's that's an insane stat. I would have lost a lot of money if you would have told me there's a player who's finished top 20 and all those elevated events that's insane yeah i'm gonna have to play some henley i think yeah dude uh it was it was shocking me what did he finish at augusta like seventh or something at the yeah, masters right up there Nuts. yeah he was you know with the lack of distance too but yeah, he loves that course i think georgia boy you know that 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 True. place really sings to him so all right man those are my guys you have anyone else to sort of mention in the long shot range you have an eye on i feel like well, you didn't mention mention uh, Svensson at all. Come on, he's in the field. That, that's your guy. I know. You know he like, is in the like, field, and he's been. I, so I had a very strict rule on Svensson, and it was only play him under seventy two hundred yards, which is why I played him mm -hmm. at the Players, which is why I played him at the uh, RSM and the Honda and these shorter tracks and the Corrales True. or wherever he was in down there. Um, and then where was it? Wells Fargo. Yeah, Wells Fargo. Right. He just showed up at a long course. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So maybe true. he's just trending, man. Maybe he's just he's just really confident. He's just good. Uh, there's not a whole yeah. lot going on upstairs with that guy as someone who's <laughs> spoken to him before, but maybe that's a good thing. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, and at that same price range is uh, HV3. I mean, that's my guy. Um, I know. I bet him first round leader, like any chance I can. And now that, you know, I can't bet on live being in Jersey, we don't have all live odds. Like I'm going to bet HP three first round leader. That's like an automatic thing. So I'm hoping he just dials it up. I'll play him some DV DF DFS too. Um, I just yeah. feel like his game will also match this place with some decent power and irons. So. Yeah. And he can well, just get red hot, man. I watched yeah. a lot of live yesterday and he was, he almost had a 59. Like he had four right. holes to go. Then he needed to play in one under par to shoot a 59. And he ended up making a bogey and almost sunk a long putt on 18 to shoot 60. Um, yeah. He was really good. I also remember, wasn't he in the final group with Brooks at Beth page? Yeah. Oh man. And then the, uh, the, he shot the like hole. like 80 or something. Yeah, he hit it off the planet on four and then he was done. Yeah, he shot 80. Yeah. Uh, felt so bad. And but he was up there. Well at, yeah. So that's a great call, Beth Page. And then uh Colonial, he had that great uh first round during COVID. Oh, yeah. So I, I hit him there, first round leader. He's he does play well on these like old school tracks, Riviera. He's got some good history there too. So I think there's something there with HV3. Very cool, dude. All right, so what time uh, wins the loop coming out this week? What else do you got planned on the schedule? Where else can people find some of your stuff? Yeah, appreciate it. So uh, the loop is now live wherever get wherever you get your podcast. So like I mentioned, Michael Breed is our uh, guest this week. So we broke it down, um, you know, from a course perspective, from kind of what he expects. You know, these guys come to the Northeast for the first time this season how that is kind of a difference in mentality. And, you know, he broke some of the players down too. He's got a unique perspective on a lot of these guys has talked to a bunch of their teachers, stuff like that. Um, so that was great. And obviously, yeah, people check out golfdigest.com. We got the betting column each week. Um, and we're, we're on a bona fide heater. I know you're on a heater too, Joe, but we got, I think five winners in a row. Oh, for Andy Dula. Yeah. I mean, he's red hot. Andy black is, red hot it's time for cp and i to you know pick up the slack a little bit um you know i think we, we've had a couple winners this season but um not quite what the other guys have done so yeah i mean we, we've got a good crew over there we got a good caddy this week giving us some picks so yeah we're pretty dialed everyone go check out golfdigest.com who was the biggest mover up the board in the hundred greatest this year what course uh, so old town club in Winston Salem, North Carolina was probably the biggest. They were like 92 last time and they went to in the fifties, um, after the court Crenshaw restoration, uh, Cal club out in, uh, obviously San Francisco, they made the hundred greatest for the first time ever as a big cool. deal. Cause that was a big critique of our rankings for a long time was how this great golf course is not in our hundred greatest, but it is. So I think this is our best ranking um, ever, although uh, Pebble Beach fell out of the top 10 for the first time ever. So I don't think that's being received well by everyone who loves Pebble Beach. But, you know, it, it's just really tight at the top in like that yeah. 8 to 12 range. So these are all great golf courses. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of fun what I get to do. Um, yeah, yeah we awesome. could do another half hour on this, but. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure your audience, uh, you know, put them to sleep pretty quick talking about this stuff. When you have uh, like the the new courses or whatever, however you rank yeah. the new courses, you got to come down here and play the park, and it's yeah. got to be on the list. Right. Oh, it is. It's so um, good. Gill doing a, a Muni course. I mean, that place looks great. You know, for a town to kind of have a, a place like that to go and hang. You know, that's what golf should be about. It's like the European model. So. It's so sweet you guys have that. Yeah, it's so good. It's unlike, it's probably right off the bat, uh, my favorite, or my second favorite course in Florida, I think. But it is unlike anything I've ever seen down here in terms of architecture and like no water, you can't lose a ball. Uh, it's just, it's very cool and unique. And I think as someone who digs architecture, like you would have like a ton of fun there and like yeah. be able to appreciate it so much more than like even I could. It's, yeah, cool. it's on the bucket list for sure. Good stuff, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much. I probably kept you way too long, but I appreciate yeah. the hell out of your time and always coming on and making some time for me and the audience here at preferred lines. 
Um, keep up the great work, man. And it was great to speak with you. And we'll talk to you soon. Good luck at the PGA, yeah. brother. Thanks, man. You too. Anytime. See you, buddy. See you. All right, guys. That's a wrap. PGA Championship Week. Good luck to recap my bets so far. Brooks, 22 to 1. Cam Smith, 38 to 1. Sam Burns, 50 to 1. Keegan, 125. Rose, 175. Woodland, 180. We're going to get some more. We're probably got room for one more. Full card will be out on Wednesday. If you want to check out the Tour Junkies Discord, I've been posting matchups and props there that uh, have been crushing it. As I mentioned earlier in the show, if you stuck around, giving out some free T-shirts to anyone who has been kind enough to, to check out the show this year. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Drop your Twitter handle in the comments on YouTube. That's how you get entered into the drawing. Even if you aren't checking this out live, I'm going to pick winners Wednesday. I'm going to DM you. I'm going to send you a tee from me to you. You guys are the absolute best. The majors are the biggest week of the year for someone who supports their own show and does a little bit of golf content. So if you have any friends who are new into the golf betting space who maybe haven't seen it before, I would greatly appreciate you to share it with them. And and any wise words uh, that you can talk about preferred lines is always greatly appreciated. My name is Joe Idoni. Thank you once again, as always, for checking out the show. You guys are the best. I love you. Have a great week at the PGA. Enjoy the hell out of it. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.